Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a psychotherapist and economist journalist, and the author of Universal Basic Income, For and Against, as well as the upcoming book, Pharma Lie, People Die. Originally from Scotland, he has spent the last several years since living outside of the country as a digital nomad in places like Mexico, Costa Rica, Turkey, and most recently, India. Please welcome to the show, Anthony Samaroff. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Mikel. I'm really excited. Well, pleasure is all mine. I think this is going to be a really fun conversation today and one that we have not tackled on the program before. But maybe start by giving us a bit of a a background, uh, a bit of history on yourself and, and how you got into psychotherapy. Well, I guess during my 20s, I was, I was studying my undergrad. I went to study late and I got really into personal development, more struggling to wrestle my own demons. And I guess by the time I finished uni, I was kind of kind of thinking of what to do. And I'd already started running some self-help workshops and things like that to try and teach some of the stuff that I'd learned that I found useful. So I was looking at what to do and I, I decided to do my postgrad in counseling studies in Edinburgh University. And I kind of feel like it just found me. Do you know what I mean? When I look at the kind of things that I always like, I always loved having deep, meaningful conversations. And I managed to find a way to turn that into my job. When I read the book, Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, I really loved the communication skills about listening and understanding people. And I practiced them a lot. And as soon as I saw how well they worked, I, I was kind of like hooked on that. So that's kind of how I found my way into psychotherapy. So let's make sure that I have my lexicon correct. So we have psychotherapy, we have psychologists, we have psychiatrists, we have counselor. What are the differences? What is your speciality? What do you do? What do you not do? Explain it to me. Well, thanks for that question. These words are used in different ways in different places and at different times. I personally don't really like any of the labels. If anyone asks me what I do, I'd like to say that I'm a helper. But then people would be like, what the hell does that mean? I'm very, very adaptive with my practice. So sometimes I kind of see myself as in the back of a rowing boat. If the client's doing a lot of rowing, I kind of like sit back and let them lead. But sometimes people need more. Sometimes people just really need to talk and be understood. And I'm more than happy to do that. But other times, like people will be affronted if that's all you do. So they're like, 
you know, I need some feedback here. Sometimes I would take someone through a coaching process, which isn't like stereotypically in the realm of psychotherapy because it's more directive, but you just need to pick the right tool for the right job. So a psychiatrist is someone who prescribes pills and they're actually a doctor, not a counsellor. A psychologist is a more general term for someone who writes or talks about the mind or studies how the mind works. And a lot of the time at university, that's neuroscience now. Now, then you've got clinical psychologists who I don't think are like that far removed from counsellors or psychotherapists. I kind of use the term counsellor, psychotherapist and therapist interchangeably, to be honest. Some think of psychotherapy as doing deeper work and counselling more shallow, but I don't think that's necessarily true at all. The funny thing about that term psychologist is depending on what state you're in, what the licensing laws are and things like that. I used to have a girlfriend who was in Florida and she was a behavior analyst. So she was like from that school of psychotherapy called behaviorism. And I'm not, I'm like more what we call um, humanistic psychodynamic sort of person-centered, which is when you let sort of the, the client lead to an extent or you don't see yourself as the expert on the client rather the client's the expert on their themselves and you're there to bring out their expertise and once i said you know we were because she's a behavior analyst and i'm a therapist i said to someone we're both psychologists and that was weird to her because her sister was a certified psychologist so she saw that as a different thing whereas i saw it as a kind of more general term so that's my a little bit convoluted answer to what would appear to be a rather simple question. I like that there was a psychologist, I think he was probably a therapist as well, that said, I believe in tools, not skills. And I think that's the way that I like to think about it as well. It's like, how can I help? So even though these labels can be confusing, I try not to get too bogged down in them too much and I, I don't mind if someone refers to me as a, a psychologist or something like that even though that's not what my degree is in okay so I won't spend too much time on this because I know that from your side it doesn't matter but just from my side so that I'm clear do you think that a lot of the labels that come in here is because of government that needs to classify everything and different licenses for everything well, what's your opinion on this there's a bit of a creep of that and yeah, it's quite an interesting question. I think people like to categorize things these ways. I don't know. The honest truth is I don't know. I, I know that I would teach a lot of it a lot differently from how we were taught in uni. Like, I think it would be really good to have a lot more, like you'd get great apprenticeship, you get great counsellors and you'd listen to tapes and you'd analyse why things worked and why things didn't work. Um, and I think that would be really good. I don't know how much of it's down to the academy and how much of it's just the human tendency to split hairs. Okay, amazing. Well, it's good for, for me to understand kind of a bit about your background, which mm -hmm. is going to drive a lot of the questions. Now, we were chit-chatting before the interview, and actually one of the things that you said that I found very interesting is you've been doing a lot of your work online before the last two and a half, three years. A lot of people have taken traditional positions that had to be done face-to-face, -face, and now they've been rushed into doing it remotely. But actually, you've been doing your work remotely for a long time. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I was 80%, I would say, online before the COVID nonsense 
So it wasn't that much of a leap to just go 100% online. And that was a little bit, again, because of me moving around beforehand. I, living in Scotland, I'd go move to Edinburgh for a few years, and then I'd move back to Scotland, and then I'd go out to India, and I'd do this and that. And it made it difficult to maintain an in-person practice in any particular city because I'd, I never knew where I was going to be next. So it made sense to go online and I was really under the tutelage of the end of YouTube. You know, I went to YouTube University at the same time as I studied my degree. I learned all about libertarianism. I mean, I wish that I had podcasts when I was a teenager because I was like, you know, on Kazaa trying to download audiobooks of psychology and philosophy and the great texts and learn about all this stuff. So when I saw that YouTube emerging, you know, I became a content creator and I was involved in forums and things like that. So I was kind of enamored of the idea of like work, putting out content, attracting clients that way and being able to serve people who heard or saw me and thought, hmm, he seems like a good person. I like where he's coming from. I've heard his videos. I know what his values are and they seem congruent with mine. So I think he'd make a good counselor for me. Well, that's amazing then. So when all of this COVID crap came out and you decided you didn't want to be in Scotland anymore, this was a good transition period then I imagine for you to be able to take your clients on the road and actually travel to other places. Talk to me a little bit about that. And then I've got some some more in-depth conversation about what you actually talked about, obviously without breaching any privileged information that you have with your clients. But Oh yeah, sure. Of course. Very general and anonymous. So yeah, it was quite interesting because Scotland had this first lockdown and then they opened up and they were doing kind of nonsensical that well what seemed nonsensical like subsidizing people to go out to restaurants i mean you're paying people with their own money to go out to a restaurant and then they brought in masking after they opened up i don't know how long the first lockdown was it was maybe a couple of months of course we were also told it was only going to be it was maybe going to be three weeks but it was sort of told indeterminately. You, your listeners might remember the original case for lockdowns was not that it was going to reduce the number of cases of COVID overall, but just stop the hospitals from being overwhelmed. And so suddenly the narrative changed from that to, you know, we're going to stop people from getting COVID altogether, which is like, if you believe in viruses, then, you know, we've lived with them for millions of years, billions maybe, and that's not going to happen. But I digress. So we opened up again and they introduced masking and I was confused about that because I was like, wait, this is meant to be over. But it was obviously just a foreshadowing of the fact that they were going to lock down again. And I started seeing someone who I'd been speaking to for a long time online, but we were just friends. And uh, she she come over to visit while we were open. And then, you know, I was going to go and stay with her as a, to see if we were compatible. And But you couldn't get into America without staying in Mexico for at least two weeks. So that's how weird the COVID regulations were. It's like you could literally go to Mexico City and go to a bunch of crack parties and things like that and then go to America after two weeks. But you couldn't just go straight from Scotland. So and on my way, I was trying to find something to do. So I found a, a yoga retreat in Mexico that I could hang out with. And I met some really nice people there. I had no interest in 
visiting Mexico before. So this is kind of like broadening the, you know, broadening my mind, right? So I had a nice time there. I went to live with my girlfriend in Florida for our six week, no obligation to buy trail run. And it was really lovely, but I think ultimately uh, we didn't think it was the right person at the right time. So I was like, what am I going to do? Now Scotland was back in full blown lockdown. I was like, there's no freaking way I'm going back to stare at four walls. So I'm get, I guess I'm going to hang out. And so I didn't know what else to do. Now I'm so much more, you know, you you know more than anyone. There's so many skills that go into traveling. And if you've not done it, you don't even know that they exist. Like even here, but when I come back to Scotland, I interact with the city differently. I go to different places. I know how to explore my own city in a way that I didn't before I traveled because I need to find the right, I love writing outside the house. So I need to find the good cafes and where, where would you meet friends if you wanted to and things like that. So because I knew none of that at the time, I just went back to the same place in Mexico that I'd left off. Some of my friends that I'd made were still there and I thought, well, if I don't catch them now, I don't catch them ever. Then I was still. I was actually at the time still wanting to go back to India because I did that quite a lot before the pandemic, and I just thought, well, maybe they'll be open next month. Maybe they'll be open next month. Maybe it didn't happen. So anyway, I was researching a lot on alternative health, and I went to a fasting retreat in Costa Rica next, and that was again a whole different experience. Then I basically came to America and found out that I was famous. <laughs> okay, well, you'll have to explain that a little bit. So pause the story for a second, go into that, and then we'll jump back into the story afterwards. Yeah, I know. I, I was writing, I was ghostwriting a book for a naturopath that was dead, and I was in contact with his wife, and she was in Houston. So when I was like, where am I going next? I said, well, I'll try it. I guess uh, Houston, uh, by this point, I was just following my nose. And there I made good friends with Stefan Kinsella, who's pretty well known in the libertarian community for writing a book called Against Intellectual Property. And he's writing some new books soon. And he's like, hey, do you want to come to this event at the Mises Institute? I was like, yeah, sure. So, So we went over together. And like people knew me. And then I got started getting invited to speak at libertarian events and things like that. And yeah, I'm I'm glad that I wrote a book because I wouldn't have been able to bank. Americans are really generous. I don't think anyone would give you 20 bucks for a book you can get on Amazon for $10 in Scotland. We maybe live up to the stereotype of being tight-fisted in that way. But they will do that events in America. And that kind of helped me cover my flights and things. And I got to go to all these, I, I think I maybe visited between 10 and 15 states and uh, there's lots of really great libertarian events and I met so many wonderful people so that was kind of like the beginning of my digital nomad journey okay well let's jump back in so you went to Costa Rica we we'll, we'll, might as well go through the timeline here yeah sure I know you also went back to India you just got back from India and you also had a chance to spend a bit of time in Turkey which is another one of my favorite countries in the world and I love Turkey some of your experience in Turkey. I've been to Turkey now seven, six times, and we're going again this year. And we're buying a home there. And oh, wow. I just, I love Turkey. I think it's one of the most 
interesting, like Istanbul is one of the most interesting places I've ever been and the heritage and the history. And I'm, I'm very much into history. So I think that it's just fantastic, but let's jump back into, so you, you kind of left off that you went to Costa Rica and then what was Costa Rica? Like, how were the people? What was your experience? Where did you go next? Yeah. So um, that was quite interesting because the reason why I did it was I was kind of figuring, trying to figure out what to do. And I'd be watching this guy on YouTube, Lauren Lockman, who ran a fasting retreat in Costa Rica. And he was trying to raise money. So he said it was like discounting his fasting retreat by 20% at the time or something like that. So I thought, well, not as good a time as any. I've always wanted to try a long-term fast. So I did. I, I went and I fasted, drinking only water for three days. Then I was on fruit and salad only for two weeks. And that was like just like a crazy, amazing experience to actually see how resilient you can be. And I, I did, I reversed skin conditions with by fasting. I, I believe I, I was taught, I was shown the healing power of fasting. So again, it was just like contributing to like living a crazy lifestyle where you get to do things that not everyone gets to do and try things out, like go to extremes that, you know, let, that will teach you things that most, that most people don't, which I just, I've always found it exciting so then after that yeah I had a weekend in San Jose which I was told was an armpit and if you go to the right places or the wrong places you'll find out that's true but I had a little I'm a vegetarian so my little strategy was to type in to Google Maps vegetarian restaurant and and as I and, and I just basically sat at home working and writing then go get an uber cheap uber out to uh, restaurant eat something maybe do some writing in the restaurant or the cafe maybe come back and then I, I discovered that there are amazing places in San Jose particularly the area called Barrio Escalante have you been I have yeah a while ago but yes yeah. yeah I mean I loved it I fell in love with it it's one of my favorite places of any city so after that interspersed with my tour of America if I had like 10 11 days I just get exhausted over there because there was always something going on. Yeah, I just went, would go back to Costa Rica and just chill. And there's so many beautiful cafes to write in. So as a writer, I was like spoiled for choice. And uh, I just really liked it. You know, I went out to the the beach as well as as you do, as people do. But yeah, it's, it, that, that was really awakening something in me. And I learned a lot about myself just like what I like, like, I mean, uh, some of the most beautiful, the be there's like so many beautiful cafes to set. In. Like if you're like, if you've got the same taste as me, which is like, what do I like to do? Like I like to eat and have coffee and write with my laptop. So spoiled for choice there. So yeah, that was also me just beginning to learn how to explore a city for the first time and get to know it and find my spots and, and things like that. Well, I think that is one of the interesting things when you go to a place and you spend an extended amount of time there. You know, if the first day is just trying to get your bearings or the first couple of days can be just to get your bearings. Now, often people leave before they really yeah, go through right. that process and they find their favorite places. I think that if you're going to go to a place and you're going to spend a day, a week, even a couple of weeks, maybe you don't get to that. But we've been expats in many countries and for six months, a year, five years, 10 years, 
and you start to learn the culture and the people and the language right. and the history. And it's like, you know, we have lists of the best restaurants and the best places to go for coffee and the best places for this and the best places for that. We have our favorites. And when we go back now, the staff know us. And, you know, there's a famous restaurant here. It's it's an institution. It's called Gaucho's. It's a, it's a steak restaurant. I am not a vegetarian. I am I'm the farthest thing of, away from a vegetarian. And they all know me there. And because I go on a weekly basis and I bring in clients. And so it's kind of the the cheers, you know, when everybody knows your name type of thing. Yeah. And it's cool to have that in different cities around the world. Yeah. And some and it's you remember the place your favorite places so fondly and the nice times and that you have in them, those uh, cafes or steak restaurants or vegetarian buffets uh, as you may have it depending on your preference and what youtubers you've been listening to it's definitely an art and find your way around and i i would say it takes 10 days to start to get the hang of a place i don't a lot of the time i don't really think a week's enough for sure mm. for sure okay so let's dig into a little bit because i think that your work is is very fascinating and i would imagine that You've seen a lot of changes over the last three years of what people are coming to you to discuss. I mean, I'm making a guess here, but I can see that in my own work as a consultant, that there is an urgency. There is a, you know, these were things that people cared about or knew about, but there was not that urgency. Now, after the last two and a half years, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry that's going on in the world. Have you seen this in your work? Have you seen it with your clients and that coming out? Yeah. I mean, I think people feel like the rugs pulled out from under them slightly. I mean, I've seen like people are fractured in ways, in a way, like those of us who are libertarian minded, I wouldn't mind going back four years to just complaining about like, oh my God, the left are economically illiterate and they're driving us off a debt cliff. Like, I would much rather be worrying about that than the government could lock us all in our homes at any moment and no one could. And and people seem to think this is perfectly fine. And the fact that there's censorship, see, my view is even if you think COVID is really dangerous, masking works, lockdowns work, etc., you'd still if you consider yourself liberal-minded, still be like, well, I'm not sure if it's right to not have any debate and to ban anyone who disagrees from television and radio, never, let alone YouTube, social media. Like, it's getting to a scary point where all this can happen and no one says. These are the same people who said uh, maybe, oh, Trump saying fake news is like 1984 where they put things down the memory hole. Like they they were citing 1984, they read it. They maybe read Brave, Brave New World, but they didn't metabolize it. And these were some of them. I don't know. At some point, meant to be the good guys. I mean, I definitely under Bush at least when I became a libertarian. No, I became a libertarian about 2007, 2008. I felt pretty aligned with the left because they were good on things like surveillance state, Patriot Act, the wars, everything. But then that all changed. So you're like. Okay, now it's so scary because all of this happens and people accept it, but also people are struggling with where the line is between colluding, but also not imposing on people, like at work. When people say things where they they assume that everyone's jabbed or everyone agrees with the jab or that everyone agrees with lockdowns or whatever, 
when do they speak up and when because they or if someone says they've got a cold like I was speaking to someone says they've got a cold and they someone says take some antibiotics or antihistamines or something like that and they think well I don't want to block my body's natural healing mechanism if I've got a running nose it's because my body's trying to get rid of something they don't share the same views when are they meant to speak up and when are they not and how do, how do you manage this at work how do you manage it around family and when someone at work sends out an email with a political undertone that assumes that everyone in the company agrees with them it's a really weird thing where no one knows what anyone else is thinking because they've created a culture where everyone's afraid to say anything so people need to make a choice and walk the line they don't want to betray themselves but they don't want to cause a scene or and they don't want to certainly don't want to impose upon other people so one of the things I have the privilege of doing is helping people gain clarity in their own minds. So at least they're they're honest and, and see that process coming together of people putting everything out on the table and slowly becoming more and more clear in their own mind. So at least they know where they stand themselves before they open their mouth to anyone else. Well, what I've seen with a lot of my work is that a lot of people feel very alone, you know, people who are awake, who understand what's going on in the world or, or view things in a certain light, often they don't have someone to talk to. Mm. That maybe everybody that they went to high school with, everybody, their friends and their family, they're all jabbed. Maybe they don't agree with this for whatever reasons, I mean, for their own personal reasons, and they don't have anyone to talk to about this whatsoever. So actually, in my work as, as a consultant, I work as an offshore consultant helping people to move overseas and we deal with their tax and everything like that. When I'm working with them, you know, I explain, okay, I deal with taxes, immigration, legal, and the investment side, the four. But I always tell them it's like four plus four point five, and the point five is like all this EQ and emotional things mm, as well. I think that's so important. I agree, and it's it's this thing that I can't advertise. Like I can't be like put it in the letter and everything like that. But it's certainly there. And actually, I've had a lot of my clients who really appreciate these types of things to be able to talk openly about it. And you know, sometimes I have people who think that. Am I crazy for thinking these things? Am I crazy yeah. for wanting to move out of Canada or the States or anything? And am I crazy for wanting to get another passport or investment? No, there's actually a lot of people who are looking at these types of things. There's a lot of like-minded people, but they might not be in your exact community or the people that you went to school with or your, you know, your colleagues at work, but they're definitely out there. So it's, it's an online community where we're cherry picking the people who understand these things and then try to set the table for them so they can develop relationships with one another. Have you seen some of this same type of sentiment or same type of feeling with some of the clients, the loneliness that you're working through with them? Yeah, people are fractured from their family over COVID, for example. People have people that they thought were their friends, that good friends that kind of phased them out or, or something like that over COVID. And a lot of people have told me that they're glad I'm sort of libertarian minded and things like that because they wouldn't like to get a counselor that doesn't get it. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, that's nodding politely and going, hmm, yeah, but actually feels differently or thinks the same as everyone else that they're, that they're crazy. So it has added an extra level of, layer of challenge for people 
But I don't know. I guess this is some something that we each kind of need to <laughs> identify who our real friends and who our real family sometimes are and cultivate those relationships because and hopefully it's it's a shame that it's so hard to maintain relationships over a long term with people who you significantly disagree with politically i can see it on the libertarian side as well after a while when you've had a bunch of conversations with someone and they don't accept obvious facts about economics and think that you should be maybe they think you should be thrown in jail for running your business without a license or whatever the hell it the hell it is and you think mm, i'm not really sure that's a really good you know basis for a so i mean it's difficult unfortunately living in a democracy i'm gonna get in trouble for saying that means everyone is their brother's keeper and an and opinion is no longer a private matter because an opinion goes to the ballot box and forces you to do things you don't want to. And this is why it's so terrible, the polarization. Everyone, polarization is such a buzzword, but it's so true. You know, people really hate each other over politics now because everyone's trying to force their way of life on everyone else. I also imagine that in your line of work, I'm going to take another guess and say that it's quite dominated by the left. I would think that being an openly libertarian person mm. doing counseling and the work that you do, it probably is more of an exception to the rule, not the norm. Would I be right in that? Yeah, I think that's fair. I the One of the things about being a therapist is you kind of live in a silo. Do you know what I mean? It's such a private affair. It's you speaking to clients one-on-one -on -one or sometimes doing group sessions. And so... It's very hard to get a feel for what's going on elsewhere sometimes. You can read and you can read other people talking about their sessions. But I mean, one thing I would say is there's a couple of things I didn't like. When I did my counseling course, one of the lecturers said in one of the classes, there are no... I think I disagreed with something he said and his response to me was that there are no just objective facts. He didn't exactly say there's no objective facts, but he said what he was saying was any presentation of facts is always biased, always. All, even if you just said, like, there's more single motherhood amongst blacks than whites. That's just statistically true. That's a political, you know, that's always political. That's always, whatever you say has always got a biased slant on it, no matter what. It's never objective. It's always subjective. And it's like, I didn't have the wits that I have now, like, but I mean, I kind of wish that I'd said, just gone like, that is a rat, you know, first of all, I'd say, is that objectively true and unbiased? <laughs> and second, I'd be like, uh, that's like a radically subjectivist view that almost no one disagrees with. And for you to, stand in front of the class and present that as ultimate truth, I think is shocking and should not be done at university since you're going to mark our papers. And if, if there's no objectivity, how can you mark our papers? You say that it gets a C, I say that it gets an A. What makes your, it's all subjective. What makes your opinion better than mine? Ridiculous that someone would say that in a university, I think. And another one was in an intake form, I needed, they asked a question which was like, Share an experience of you dealing with diversity and difference. And I was like, do you know what? That is like such a social justice 
warrior question and it's like what if i'm not what if i was a conservative and i'm like look i don't agree with the underlying premises of your question you know that anyway i had examples of that from my practice anyway so i, I was able to to answer it reasonably but i just didn't i just didn't like having it go through the narrow you know this narrow path of like building sort of leftist views into the very examine like that's they're basically saying in order to answer that question you kind of need to subscribe to the social justice warrior view of the world and oh no, no that's not necessarily true but you might need to write your answer to conform to it and that means the course is biased so sure. stuff like that it might be worse now this was 10 years ago remember mm -hmm. well i think that in a lot of society today right now, they're trying to push the narrative that everything is subjective, that mm. everything is, you know, what we say it is, and it can be swayed in public opinion and things like that. And actually, I disagree with this completely. I think that there are inherent truths as human beings. Mm -hmm. I call them natural law. And I think that most libertarians understand the concept of natural law. There are there are real life differences between right and wrong. And it's not a political thing. Mm -hmm. It's a human thing. And it applies to all human beings. And it, I, don't, I don't care if you're tall, short, fat, skinny, gay, straight, black, white, doesn't matter to me. I mean, there are laws that govern humans. Mm -hmm. And it's not a man-made law. It is a God's law. And I think that these things have to be recognized. But this perversion that we've seen over the last well, many decades, but really coming to the forefront over the last, say, three to five years is really corrupting everything that we know about society. And I would say that a lot of it comes from higher institutions, uh, higher education, and a lot of it is coming from the left. I don't, I have clients who are Democrats and I have clients who understand the left and I'm not bashing anyone here, but I'm telling you what I have seen. And I do think it's a perversion of ideas. We have seen a ton of movement in the Bitcoin markets recently, and the influx of new wallet addresses and people coming into the space is insane. However, there are some serious privacy and security issues by using traditional exchanges and methods of Bitcoin. That's why I want to recommend every one of my subscribers to check out myprivatebitcoin.com. It is a detailed course on everything related to privacy and Bitcoin. This is for experienced people to the crypto space all the way to people new to Bitcoin. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com. And for expat money listeners, you will receive 25% off the program. Go to myprivatebitcoin.com to learn more. Yeah, I mean, this is to paralyze the mind and create confusion. So when an architect wants to build a building and he shows the plan to the builder, the builder doesn't go, well, wait a minute, how do you know that the laws of gravity are going to sustain themselves tomorrow? Maybe it's all going to cha change. Like, how do you know? How do you know that the past, the future is going to resemble the past, right? But if you want to, like, you'd be like, what, just build the freaking building. But all of our knowledge is based on certain presuppositions like the future will resemble the past laws will stay constant and things like that but they come along and say oh how do you know you're not just a brain in the vat plugged into a matrix right well if we're going to 
embark on any endeavor of knowledge and understanding, we kind of need to assume that there's a material world and that, I mean, pure Zen Buddhism could be true and, and every there's no objective world. Everything is just appearing in consciousness. That could be true. But whatever appears in consciousness seems to behave like there's an objective world. So we need that first so that we can begin to say, look, there are laws of economics. Look, we can we can show we can demonstrate them, the laws of economics, and we should structure our society on them. But then people want to say, oh, you know, that's just ideology. It's all just what we want. We can make the world what we want. Unfortunately, we can. It would be if it was true that we could, then we just print all the money, like Paul Krugman says, and there should be no no need for any poverty in the world by now. If we just have a magic wand and we can make the world the, the way it is, no, we're limited by laws, like you say. And um, I just feel like this exactly these this radical skepticism, skepticism of any it's just a way of paralyzing us. Well, how do you justify this? How do you justify that? How, okay. You know, there's millions and millions of people starving in the world right now because of a lack of free markets, right? So why don't we focus on that? And then if we can fix that, then I'll come back to you and debate with you whether I'm a brain in a vat or plugged into the matrix. But in the meantime, like, we it's funny because people say there's no such, oh, morality subjective, but they never act like that, say, when their spouse is unfaithful to them or when one of their friends is assaulted or anything like that. They don't go, well, maybe it was wrong that that guy mugged you in the street, but maybe it wasn't. Who's to say? It's all anyone's guess. (laughs) So so I I don't really take moral skepticism seriously. I think that man is a moral animal, meaning that man thinks in terms of ethics. So given that we think ethically by nature, it's our duty to find the right, correct, or the best system of ethics, not to say, do ethics exist or not, but say, what ethics should we adopt? Because it's just inherent in our nature to think in ethical terms. And that's why over and over again, I've referred to myself as a libertarian, because Mm -hmm. in 23 years of traveling, experiencing many different countries and cultures, I have never found a, a system that as quintessentially boils it down in as little words as humanly possible, something that people can understand. I mean, the non-aggression principle, I've said it 500 times on this program, but I'm going to say it one more time, is the simplest, most concise view on, on what works for human beings. I mean, I don't, I have not seen anything else and I've traveled extensively through Asia and Africa and Europe and Latin America and all over Europe and many places. Right. And nothing I have seen. And that's why I call myself a libertarian. Yeah. And not only does it make such simple sense, but we can just observe the results of uh, Hong Kong and Singapore used to be as poor as Africa are. And they became very rich in a generation. Uh, Chile is maybe still the richest country in Latin America and the most free market. Estonia was the most free market of the sort of post-Soviet Union states and became one of the richest. When you look at Africa, the countries that are doing well in Africa are the ones that have gone more free market. Like Ethiopia had famines under socialism. Now it's doing very well. India was doing well up until COVID, but maybe they'll be doing well again. They abandoned socialism in 1991. Before that, in the 80s, lots of economists thought it would never develop. So I've always been confused as to how the left maintain that they're the ones that care so much about poverty when we actually have 
plenty of evidence to show how poverty can reliably be reversed just from looking at the comparative performances of different nations based on adopting libertarianism. Mm -hmm. And a side note, Chile has gone back to socialism and it went from the, the one of the wealthiest countries to now going down fast, real fast. Mia as well. Yeah, I'm so sorry for them. But I mean, they want it. They, I mean, the Chilean people want it. I mean, what happened was before the COVID lockdowns, the government increased the price of public transport and people were rioting about that. They went in and smashed up the underground train stations or whatever, but they had one of the most severe COVID lockdowns. You needed a permit to go to the supermarket. My friend was trapped in Chile. She's actually from the States. She found a hard time getting back there. She needed four permits to get out of the country. One of them was denied the first time. She had to apply for it again. No protests about that though. They didn't protest about that. They were worried about the public transport being increased. So they just love government, unfortunately. And what can you do for them? It's a sad situation. There's no question about it. It really is. All right. I want to circle back to a little bit about your work because I, I want to kind of, you know, pick up that thread a little bit because I do find it very, very interesting. With a lot of the clients that you've been working with over the last two and a half, three years, have they felt like maybe they're crazy for thinking these things that are so radically different than mainstream, what's being talked about in mainstream media and by Hollywood and the music industry and all of societal pressures seem to be, you know, coming from one direction, but you know, these people who are are standing up and saying, you know what, that's wrong. It's it's morally wrong, it's ethically wrong, and I don't agree with it. These are individuals, you know, we don't have this mass movement. Have you seen these people feel alone? How have they dealt with it? How have you helped people in situations like this? Yeah, I mean, it always enters your head. Am I nuts? Because it, it can't be that almost every I mean, why are there so few of us? So I guess, how have I helped people? Uh, the first thing is to have a tidy filing cabinet up here. So I always think if people, if people can get everything out on the table, then we can begin to pick. Once it's out on the table, you can pick this up and say, what do you need with this? Should we do something with it? If you need it, keep it. If you don't need it, throw it away. And that's always a big question mark. I always find what people really need is like what you said, to feel understood. So my first tool is always to listen with the intention to understand someone and then maybe communicate back something of what I've heard to them to their satisfaction. So they're like, yeah, totally. You know, when you get that, yeah, totally reaction, then you know, you've really got someone. Someone really feels like you get them and that inspires them to talk more. What happens next is really always a bit of a question mark. As I said, I've got broad array of tools and you never know what the right tool for the job is until you're in that situation. But certainly in this, as you keep on intimating, it could be very isolating having non-mainstream views. You know, you might just go on meetup.com, especially if you're an expat or Facebook events or anything, trying to meet people and go to a dinner, you know, people are talking about things that you know they don't disagree, they don't agree with you and you you're like, what are the chances of me finding people who feel the same as me out here? So understanding goes a long way to restore people's sanity, but also the self-understanding that comes with that makes it easier for people to stand in their own power because they're clear in their own head. So when they go into these situations, 
they might not be as reactive now because they know their own mind and they can, they've got good discernment of when they might want to speak up and when they might want not, when they might want to keep it to yourself. The first thing is you have to be honest to yourself and know your own mind. You, there's no use going into a conversation and you start saying half facts to other people and then they say, they ask a question and you don't know what you're taught. You know that you're right but you don't you don't remember the source you don't remember the facts so you make yourself look stupid even though you're not even though you're smart so i think there's something to be said for having that clarity of mind and i i always try and if i do i don't really debate with people that often but if i do have an exchange of ideas i try and stay in areas where I'm up on the topic and I, I, I know that I can justify my response well. That's not possible if you're not clear in your own head. So I guess that's part of it. And I just feel like if you feel connected to yourself and you, you're clear, you know what you believe, it's easier to not feel like there's no ground underneath you. It's easier to feel comfortable either being challenged or just not saying anything. I know for myself, I don't need to tell them, I don't need to educate them. But also you bring that confidence into relationships and it's easier to connect with people when you're connected to yourself. Well, this does tie into our little interim conversation about ethics and morality. I think that a lot of people who understand that a lot of this was BS is because they put it through their own mental models that they've built up throughout their lives. And they do know the difference between right and wrong. And I think that as someone who understand, who is freedom-minded, kind of holds everybody to the same standards. Like the standards that I hold myself to are the standards that I hold my relationships to and people in my family and who I choose as my friends, as well as the companies that I deal with. And I also believe this, this crazy, crazy thought that governments should be held to the same morals as everybody else. I don't see any difference between the individual, the company or corporation, or the government. I think that these natural laws that we discussed before are important on all levels. So that if you do have to have a conversation about these things, it should go back to a conversation about morals and ethics, the difference between right and wrong, opposed to the latest statistic or who quoted what or what Anthony Fauci said on a broadcast. Like, I don't care about any of that kind of stuff. I'm not going to spend my day trying to memorize this stuff. It doesn't matter to me. What matters is understanding how to be a good person and then using that as the filter for my life. And I'm not a perfect person. I am not holier than thou. I make a thousand and one mistakes, but every day I try to do better than I did yesterday. And I have conscious thought about it where I'm always trying to improve myself and get more clear with myself. So true. Yeah. And life is like that. I mean, if I knew what I know now in the past, I would have made better decisions in the past. That seems... Absolutely. You said in 10 years ago when you were in university, you wish you could have said this or you wish you had yeah, exactly. the tools. That's a great example. Exactly. And I often think about situations, how could I have communicated better in that situation? And I know that self-reflection has worked because I see that I'm a much better communicator now than I was 10 years ago. And that desire to like kind of reflect, and that's a big part of counseling. What I'm trying to do is bring the meaning out of people's experiences. So 
they're telling me something, but I'm listening with really big ears, not just for what they're saying, but what's what they're poking at. There's something that they've not quite got yet, but they're trying to get at it. And a lot of the time I just pull that from the edge of their awareness into the center. And I love that. And they're like, yeah, someone said to me today, yeah, I hadn't put that into words yet, but that's exactly it. So also just bringing out the implications of what someone says that they might not have noticed. And that's not for me to give them a judgment, really. What I'm doing is I'm pulling out the implications of what someone else said or what has happened to them so that they can assess it and judge it for themselves based on their own ruler and their own measuring stick. And that's really satisfying as well, I find. I imagine so. I imagine so. Because, you know, these are confusing times. There's no question about it. There are a lot of people who feel a lot of stress and anxiety. And a lot of the thoughts, a lot of my thoughts are are very jumbled sometimes, you know. So having someone who can listen to you and kind of help you to make connections opposed to making the connections for them, I think is super valuable. Mm. Yes. Thank you. And I don't think everyone actually realizes the value of it and how much they could be getting out of it until they've experienced it, which is kind of like a shame because if you don't think that this, like I wish I'd known about it when I was in uni and going through all my self-help and stuff like that, because most universities have a counselling service and you go, you know, they'll give you six sessions or something like that, which which is better than a kick in the nuts. You know, I would definitely availed myself of that and things like that. But it, it means a lot to people to get got I think. And that's just the beginning. Like, I can't can't really talk about deeper parts of the process because they're so ununiform. They're so, like, everyone's so different. The the bit I talk about is getting understood because that's kind of universal. That's universal. But then after you've got that trust that happens when someone really feels like you get, and you're benevolently, you know, you've got a foundation on which you, you kind of build something on top of that trust together and people people leave people sometimes come in feeling like they're not coping with the struggles of their life not necessarily but sometimes or definitely they could be doing a lot better than they are but it's really wonderful when someone comes in distressed and leaves feeling like i've got this and that happens a lot people leave feeling like I've got this, I, you know, I've got what it takes inside me to solve my own problems. And that's what I kind of believe people do have got what it takes to solve their own problems, but we can all use support to bring our best out of us. Okay. So I have a question then, and I've kind of asked it before, but I'm going to ask it again, because I'm not sure if I understand the answer. Have you seen differences over the last three years or have you seen, is it really the same? The things that were people were dealing with 10 years ago, people are still dealing with today, or has the world changed? Like I, I really, I'm super curious. Yeah, exactly. I, I know you were poking at that and it's very hard for me to answer because yeah, in some ways, it's like you said, there's more urgency about it. Like before this, I was writing all sorts of libertarian theory and things like that. Like, and now I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> this is urgent. Like, that's why I'm writing about the pharmaceutical industry at the moment, because it's somewhere where I can really make a difference. And like, maybe people aren't ready to enter Ankapistan now, but I can definitely convince them not to take certain drugs that are not going to help them because I've got the evidence. So 
in a same way, I see a lot more urgency around my libertarian clients, but the palette of human emotions, you know, has a certain number of colors in it. And a lot of time when, when people tell, ask me what I specialize in, I have a really hard time answering that, you know, because it's I'll speak to someone about anything from childhood trauma or sexual assault all the way up to just feeling like they've underachieved for their level of intelligence and would like to do better all across the spectrum. But the fundamental skills I find are the same. So it's it's hard to say really if the change is reflected in my practice apart from the fact that I've got some clients that it did feel alienated from family and, and loved ones over the COVID thing. That's a good answer. And and I will, it, it does clear things up because I am curious, you know, is the things that people deal with now different than they were before? Or is it the same? Like, I just, I really don't know the answer. So I had to ask it a couple of times, you know, it's, it's. Yeah. I'm really interested in that too, because, you know, people would say to me when I was in America, what do people in Scotland think about COVID? And I was like, well, they're obviously pretty compliant, but I don't know. Because even if I went out to the pub and asked people, that would be a biased sample set. If I go to speak to my, I'm just seeing what's on my Facebook feed. You know, we're all in these tiny reality silos and we're limited. It's so hard to get people's general opinion on things, especially in this climate where they've made it difficult for people to speak up because they're worried from being alienated from their workmates, fired, become a pariah at work for not having the... So there could be three people receiving this email where, I don't know, your the assistant managers assume that everyone's a Democrat just like her. There may be several people in the department that disagree, but they're all keeping quiet because, for the same reason. It's a very shocking point we've come to in history. That makes sense. And that's why I thought this conversation would be really fascinating to have with you because I don't have the answers. I have no idea. So I'm genuinely curious, as I said earlier. So I want to tell you a quick story about something that happened and I want to get your opinion about it, if that's okay. So we run a a, a Facebook group. It's a private forum. It's called Expat Money Forum. If you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com, you go in there. And one of the members on this group, there's over 11,000, 12,000 people in this group. So sizable group comes in and writes a post about how they think that Mikkel has a mental illness because of some of the emails that I had put out. And the emails were me calling out the WEF. And I think it's a disgusting organization and the work that they're doing, I think, is disgusting on all fronts. And I'm very vocal about these types of things. And they called me a conspiracy theorist and said that I had mental illness. And I thought this was fucking hilarious. I thought this was absolutely brilliant because I'm not offended by these things whatsoever because I'll have the conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's dig into it. I'm not scared of a conversation. You know, you want to see these things? Perfect. So I put it out there and it was very interesting to see the responses of everybody. I didn't make any comments. I just said, I think my comment was like the Michael Jackson eating popcorn. I just want to see what's going to happen in this situation. And we probably had like several hundred people on there making comments on both sides. So the question in a kind of roundabout way is about conspiracy theories. You know, a lot of people from the libertarian side of things are slandered, or I would call slandered, for believing something which is not the mainstream narrative, you know, and we get slandered with this term of conspiracy theorists and and our sanity is thrown into question on these things. What do you think about all of this? 
Yeah, interesting question. The, I mean, the term conspiracy theorist is obviously just, you know, a mudslinging term to, because like, right, let's say even writing this book that I'm writing on the pharmaceutical industry, sometimes I'll go on Wikipedia, like I'll, I want to cite someone and I'll go on Wikipedia and Wikipedia is slandering them. And half of the time, you probably know that someone's onto something good in the medical industry if they're being slandered in Wikipedia. But it causes this cooling effect where you're like, I don't even know if I want to cite them because someone will go and look them up on Wikipedia and it says they're a quack and then they'll think I'm a quack, even if they've done some really good work. And it's kind of like that with the term conspiracy theorist or anti-vaxxer. It's got like these this cooling effect where you don't even want to be contaminated by the person that's called a conspiracy theorist, let alone be called one yourself. So we can dispense with any ad hominem arguments. The only thing that matters is the facts. And we really need to question, why is it as human beings that we're so attached to our opinions? <laughs> like, it's a really weird feature of our biology. Like, I Growing up, I was always pretty open to argument. And even if I if I didn't get it at first, if I resisted someone giving me new facts at first, I would go away with it and it would annoy me. And I'd have to find out who was right, me or them. And if they were right, I'd have to change my opinion. So I thought when I got onto Facebook, everyone would be like this. If you provided them with enough information and evidence, they'd change their minds too. And then I was slapped in the face by reality. So... It's a very interesting thing. I, I don't know what exactly is going on because for one thing, evolution or has given us the ability to reason and make use of evidence and come to the correct conclusions because it's necessary for our survival. But what else is necessary for survival? It's like being part of the tribe, being part of the group. That's why no one wants to be called a conspiracy theorist because, ooh, I'm exiled. And I, I really think on some level when you share information with people that this is me speaking as a psychologist compared to the different terms as opposed to the as we talked about different terms before as opposed to as a psychotherapist this would be my armchair psychologizing there's an unconscious assessment going on which says if i believe this stuff that i'm being told right now either i'm going to be exiled from the group or it's going to shake up my whole world and whatever and it's just just too anxiety provoking the only time I reply to things on Facebook these days when people disagree with me is usually because I want to see how someone's ego reconstitutes itself around a belief when I offer them knockdown evidence and facts to contradict their opinion. So sometimes I'll see someone making a claim and I'll provide evidence because I just want to see how exactly they explain away and dismiss my evidence without further like i just want to see how it happens because it's interesting so i don't know i mean before you try and change your someone's mind make sure they ha have one first i guess you know <laughs> it's, it's it's good it's good to ask a question like so what evidence would i have to provide in order for you to reconsider your opinion because then you both know what the criteria is meant to be and if they say nothing well then okay well then what's the point of having a conversation or if they say you need to provide this level of evidence then you can see if you can successfully provide it and i guess nine times out of ten they'll still find a way to dismiss it out of hand if they don't want to believe it some people maybe just have preferences not beliefs steven pinker came out with a book 
not that long ago, or praising reason, in which he said we didn't didn't don't even need to consider conspiracy theories because we know they're you know we know they're not true without investigating them because they're too implausible. I'm like, uh, I'm not really sure that you actually know how reason's supposed to work. So, but it would be interesting to see what if one amongst their ranks, you know, I guess probably if Sam Harris looked into the stuff on the vaccine and went, actually, I was wrong, I changed my mind, that would turn a lot of people's heads. But a lot of people would just, in that movement, would suddenly become a pariah. Oh, he's gone off the, he used to be good, but he's gone off the deep end as soon as they deviate from the party line. I don't know what it would take. I I, I was with Josh Sigurdsson from... World Alternative Media in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And we had this conversation where we came to the conclusion that the CDC could put on their own website, oh, by the way, COVID is a lie, the vaccine is poison, and we're just trying to kill a bunch of you sheep off in a mass ritual to our god Moloch. And even if it was there on their own website, people wouldn't believe it. And they'd just call you a conspiracy theory without checking it. And and until the mainstream media, like the mainstream media tells people what to care about before it was COVID. Now it's Ukraine. Now it's, there's tons of other things that are equally important and inhumane going on in the world. The bombing of Yemen, for example, if they put the bombing on, on of Yemen on TV, everyone would put, be putting Yemenese flags on their Facebook profiles. So I guess my conclusion is don't pay too much attention to the world events get your because they're there to suck in your attention and distract you alienate you from your friends and family sort out your own life and spread love and joy by learning how to live a good life and and then teaching other people to do the same absolutely i agree with that wholeheartedly and especially your last point there on the alienation i have seen this for the last 20 years John Taylor Gatto talks about how public education is there to separate you from your family, from other friends and and society, and from yourself. And I think that these are very true statements and in hyperdrive right now. I think that everything is to make you feel alone and not understood and make you feel crazy on these types of things. And I guess my message is, you know, if you're basing your life on morals and virtues and and ethics, you know, you're not alone. And, you know, if even if a million other people out there think that you're wrong, if you know what's right, it's right. I mean, these are the natural laws that we went back to. The other point that I quickly want to make before we wrap up today is when you were talking about quoting Wikipedia. So I recently had a opportunity to meet Robert Kennedy Jr., RFK. And here's here's one for my people who think that I hate all Democrats. I don't hate all Democrats. I was super excited to meet this man and I was so interested what an amazing story. I don't agree with everything that he talks about. I don't agree with his stance on nuclear power whatsoever, but I also don't believe about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I think that he has some amazing work that he's done in the cases for vaccines. And I would be thrilled to meet him or interview him on one of my programs. Anyways, I went to Wikipedia to check something and they're calling him a conspiracy theorist. I mean, like, I just thought that was amazing. Can I just tell you? Yeah, I mean, look, See, when you watch the evening news in America, something like 18 out of 22 ads are pharma ads. Now, I naively thought that this was to sell drugs, and they do sell drugs, but really what they're doing is buying favorable coverage because they're the best paying advertiser, which means the news cannot. There's so many with 
drug withdrawals every year, wrong dosage on the bottle, wrong this, wrong that. They could actually create a pharma scandal every day, actually, if they wanted to. But they don't because pharma are the biggest advertisers. They fund American Cancer Society, the Diabetes Association, the multiple sclerosis. All of the patient advocacy groups get pharma money. I can't say all of them, but you know what I mean. And then they put people, pharma people on their boards um, so that they emphasize treatment and scanning instead of prevention. They pay for the textbooks at universities. They pay for researchers. They pay for academics to ghostwrite articles, to put their names on ghostwriting articles, right? To think that pharma would buy off everything from the TV to the universities, to the regulators, but somehow neglect to buy off Wikipedia is absolutely ridiculous. Like, of course, whenever anyone hears of any naturopath or any alternative health practitioner, the first thing they're going to do is open up Google, type their name in and read their Wikipedia article. Pharma would have to be absolutely insane not to buy off Wikipedia. And that's what you get. Like it, Wikipedia is so biased. Uh, they deny outright facts about the day. They, they don't, and some drugs, they have little bylines about court cases where drug manufacturers were taken to court for illegally advertising this drug for a condition it shouldn't treat and, and or they've, they've scientific fraud. If it was any naturopath that would be the whole article, court case, litigation. They dedicate the whole article to sl to showing that this person was sued. But if it's a pharmaceutical, they just have like one or two lines on the court case. You know, it's ridiculous what's happening over there. Well, going to you back to the conversation we had earlier about your time in Costa Rica and fasting, I worked with a coach. His name is Seem Land. He's been on this program before about boosting immune support. And I've worked with I'm a big fan of a lot of his work. And we talked in one phone call about fasting. And I'm like, why is fasting not more popular? I've been practicing intermittent fasting for maybe two or three years now and had great success with it. And he said, well, it's hard to build a business around not eating, like not doing something. So, right. but actually there's a lot of scientific research that shows that uh, the benefits of fasting and that humans are not supposed to be consuming easily digestible carbohydrates and, and sugars and calories right. all hours of the day, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. It's interesting that they will try to slander, you know, once again, going back to our conversation before, slander things that do not fit in line with the business model. Yeah. And, you know, in the healthcare system of the future, will hopefully be thinking about prevent because the thing is when you look at how much these conditions cost to treat chemo can run two hundred fifty thousand dollars you know a heart attack can cost seven hundred sixty thousand dollars according to one article when you include loss of work loss of income care at home all the medical treatment so actually by preventing disease we'd save a ton of money and all the money is there it's actually our money but some degree it's uh under democratic control, which means the government takes it from you by force and then shovels it into the hands of big pharma for unsafe and ineffective treatments. And often for expensive treatments when cheaper treatments would do the same job. But this is a, a whole wormhole we could go, <laughs> go down for another hour, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. But I do enjoy today's conversation, Anthony. Thank you very, very much for your time. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find the books, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Okay. So I won't overload people with links. If you go to sevenpharmamyths.com, that's the number seven, then P harm A, and then myths like Greek or Roman mythology, sevenpharmamyths.com. You can download my free ebook, Seven Pharma Myths, Seven Big Pharma Myths Debunked. That will get you. And once once you download it, I'll subscribe you to my Substack, which is very interesting. And you can unsubscribe if you want, of course, but I think you'll like the articles. That's one thing because I'm I'm building up to the release of this book. So that will definitely mean you're informed when the book comes out. And if you like what we just talked about, you'll probably be interested in that. I should also mention, if you think I might be a good counsellor for you, beyourselfandloveit.com, beyourselfandloveit.com, or you can email me, anthony at beyourselfandloveit.com. And maybe if you let me know that you came in from this show, that would be really, really great and we'll see how I might be able to help you. I think that's enough links. I don't want to overload you. That's awesome. And we'll make sure that we have the links to all three of those at expatmoneyshow.com under Anthony's episode. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Uh, Thank you so much, Kel. And uh, yeah, I definitely look forward to speaking to you, especially if I'm traveling in Central America again. Might come and see you in Panama. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region.
But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.